1: A major part of the spirit of the Say It Skillfully podcast is this, you can't help someone you don't know. You can't know someone without hearing their story, and you'll never hear their story if you don't ask. And we know it's overcoming our struggles that most define us, though often we don't hear about them. And what motivates me the most in hearing from my amazing guests is the courage to pursue their true north and create success on their terms. Today, my guest is an expert economic consultant. He's helped advise everyone from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies, regardless of industry. His work often has him collaborating with C-suite level executives on production of client reports, forecast reviews and research, and direct communication with clients. Having originally gotten his start in the field through economic and financial research, he's climbed his way up the corporate ladder to where he is today. I'm so pleased to introduce Jeremy Best. Jeremy, welcome to Say It Skillfully.
2: Hi, Molly. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited. You know, I have to give a shout out, due credit to our friends at Essential Ingredients. We know and love them, uh, which is where I had the pleasure of first meeting you. And for transparency, I am an independent board member there. Um, You shared amazing information. So let's just get that out of the way. But I was really taken by how and even this is through Zoom folks. You just seem to be so in the groove with your work and you love when someone these comes across as really on fire about what they do. Um so I'm just fascinated frankly by your path to economist and consultant and take us please through your journey.
2: Absolutely. And uh and I, I appreciate the uh the call out. Uh you know, a very large portion of my job is is to just speak uh and so to to hear the words of affirmation if i dare so say uh and, and having you reach out as as put a smile on my face for sure so yeah happy to uh to dive into a little bit of my story uh you know and, and kind of you know where i've gone and you know, where i you know, where i am today uh i've thought about this you know thinking about that storyline which has been an, an interesting i guess exercise for myself to to think about that uh at least put it in a kind of a chronological order. Uh, and I've broken it down into three very obvious, uh, you know, breakdowns, which was like, all right, what's my phase as a child and then teenager and then post-college. I and mean, it sounds silly because I feel like everyone's got that, right? I mean, we're all in those buckets, but uh, I realized that mine were, you know, very big, big tipping points, uh, at least in the, in the you know, world of economics, we use that that phrase that big things happened during those times so I guess I'll I'll just go through those different phases and I'll start off with the first one is as a child uh I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania <laughs> my town name was was so original that instead of naming it you know a brand of of trucks they just decided to name it Trucksville uh and I kid you not that is the actual name in a, in northeastern Pennsylvania of the town I, I grew up in so grew up in Trucksville Pennsylvania you know it's a, it's it's uh it's kind of what you'd expect in northeast, right? There's a lot of hunting going on, a lot of fishing, a lot of outdoor things. I spent a very large portion of my of my childhood camping. Uh we would basically camp as a family from well, once it got cool cold or warmer out, I would say, so call it May, uh basically until end of October and then it got, you know, too darn cold to to camp anymore. And when I say we would spend that time camping, I'm kid- I'm not kidding, we would Camp all during the week, so when I went to school, I'd have to go back early in the morning. You know, change, shower, and then I'd go to the bus. Uh, well, my, my my parents just loved you know being outdoors, so uh, that was kind of you know my childhood. Did all those things outdoors, was into sports, but then you realize very quickly I'm just not too great at them. <laughs> uh, but I did I did my fair share of uh, baseball and tried my shot at football once. I was a bowler, which is interesting. Uh, you know, things that I guess I viewed as, as quite normal in Pennsylvania. Uh, but really that I didn't view that phase, uh, if you will, of of my life as too monumental. A lot, lot, of, lot of good things, a lot of ups and downs. I I didn't realize until I was a bit older that we were quite poor, uh, and some of the decisions that my family was doing was was because of that. Uh, you know, the idea of of camping was actually quite cheap and the, the vacations we would do would be hop in a truck and travel around. And and I viewed it as wow, this is amazing. But then you realize you get older, well, that's not, you know, a a trip in a hotel room that costs X amount more. You can just pitch a tent and you're good to go. So you know there were there were things that I, I didn't realize till I got older. And then that leads me into into that next stage, which is what I, you know, my teenager phase and uh, you know, you think high school and then maybe early college. Uh, and that was probably the most impactful time of my life. Um, you know, by I, I kind of been contemplating on it, thinking about this podcast and, you know, how do I frame this and how do I share it? Uh, and I realized most of my life, I was quite embarrassed to tell these this part of the story. So to be honest, this will be my first time, publicly uh, telling people a little bit of, of my background. Uh, clearly, if they're close to my friends and they, and they all know. But right around, you know, 15, 16 years old, where things got a little bit hectic at home, uh, you know, divorces were at play, things like that. Um, you know, I find myself basically in my later teens. Well, I view as I didn't view it as homelessness at the time, uh, but by definition, it was, it was classified as unaccompanied youth, which is a, which is a form of, of homelessness. So I, uh, you know, would find myself driving 30 minutes to crash with my brother and his, uh, his girlfriend now wife, which is amazing. Uh, but I'd crash on their couches, but because, you know, they live so far away and I had a job at the grocery store. I, I, you know, would crash at friends' houses. There were even scenarios where. And I'm hanging out with my friends at night and then, you know, hey, listen, I, I can't keep crashing on your couch. So I would sleep in my car and then wake up in the morning and go to the grocery store and work. Right. Um, again, I think at the time I don't I didn't view it as uh, uh, as too strange, even though I, I mean, it sounds laughable and, and weird to think about it now. But I just that's what I was doing. Um, and, you know, I still technically had options to sleep somewhere. Right. I could, in theory, always drive to, to crash at my brother's place. Um, but then things changed a bit more, uh, where my brother said, Hey, bud, I'm, uh, and we're very close. Uh, my brother, Jason and I five years apart, but still very, very close. And he said, Hey man, I'm going to move to Texas. Uh, I want to go to law school. Uh, and I have to get this done. And, uh, clearly the answer was absolutely go do that. Uh, I was a, I think freshman or junior year of college, but I was only at a community college at the time. So I said, well, OK, you got to do what you got to do. But I don't know where that leaves me. And he said, well, you know, I have a friend whose you know, parents would probably take you in. Uh, and uh, his name, his friend of, of my brother's name was uh, Indu. And so I reached out to Indu and I said, hey, do you think your mom, who I am now known, known as uh, Mrs. Raj, that's her name uh and she said uh you know he said reach out to her and ask if you can crash uh in my in my old room i said okay great so i i called mrs raj and, and i've met her before right i was i was at the house and things like that but uh without even skipping a beat she was uh, absolutely you know you can you're more than welcome to stay here and uh there was no rent or anything like that it was simply hey when there were you know tasks to do, you did them, right? Whatever that may have been, right? Uh, you know, mow the lawn. I worked at the grocery store. So she was constantly, you know, contacting me to bring home certain things or whatever, milk, what have you. Uh, and that's, that's the way I paper ran. for But what was interesting at the time is I was not the only person living there who was in the same situation as myself. She was a professor at the same college or the uh, community college that I was at, known as Luzerne County Community College. Uh, so she was a teacher there and it felt like, you know, she it was just like her way of giving back, almost picking up these strays almost. So I I came in and there were it was her. Uh, her husband passed a few years earlier, uh, but it was her uh, and two other people from Africa. And and I've kind of butchered the story over time. I, I, I feel bad. I don't really exactly remember where in Africa, but they were both from two separate places and in, in two separate experiences in africa which was unique uh and then me who was just this guy that happened to live in this small town in in pennsylvania where mrs raj lived uh and it was it was great i mean the dinners were always so fun and i was i had a car mrs raj has a car uh but the other two people didn't so i would drive them around wherever they needed to i'd even take them to class if if needed uh and then you know summertime kind of came through and i told mrs raj i i don't want to be at LCC anymore. Not that it was bad education. Actually, in hindsight, I should have stayed there for for another year, but I was very adamant about moving on to a four year university. So I, uh, I decided to move to Philly, to go to Temple University, which is, which is something that most people wouldn't even know I went to unless you chatted with me, uh, you know, in detail, because I was only there for a year, I, I didn't graduate there, I stayed there for a year. And I realized quickly that that city did not like me. (laughs) I just, I could not find a job. You know, this was, uh, geez, what is it? 2010. So just, you know, shortly after the the Great Recession. So I couldn't even get a job, you know, working at, you know, a, a quick service restaurant or anything. So I would drive two hours back to Northeast Pennsylvania just to work some extra cash. But I would do this often, which you start doing the math and you realize, well, okay. I mean, gas was cheaper back then, but you know, you start doing the math and all right, round trip, that's going to cost you 30 bucks, what have you, maybe more. There was a couple dollars in tolls. Uh, so in order to do that, you would, I'd have to really negotiate with the, with the, uh, grocery store on packing my hours. Uh, and, and they, they were super cool about it. and, And we did that. So, uh, I spent that year going back and forth, just, uh, you know, trying to, to, to work up as much cash as, as I could, because I couldn't do it in, um in Philly. So, you know, fast forward a bit, it's now the next summer. I'm still living at Mrs. Raj's during the summer. She was totally fine with me living in Philly. It was great. If I worked those extra hours at the grocery store, I would crash there as well. Uh, you know, fine, fine times. Uh, I had a friend who was living in Tampa, Tampa, Florida, and she said, uh, "Why don't you come visit me?" And I said, I, "You know, I said that's fine." So I flew down there. And if you've never been to Tampa, you'll realize very quickly that it looks like paradise. Uh, you get off that, you get off the plane, uh, you get right on that highway, and it's riddled with all the palm trees and blue skies, and it, it's gorgeous. Uh, and I think I was only there for like four days, but when I was there I met with an administration officer at uh, the University of Tampa and she said well here's what I can guarantee you if you come here I will guarantee you a transfer scholarship based on your grades at Temple uh and it's not a full ride but it'll get you it'll get you moving it'll get you back to where Temple costs you know because this was University of Tampa's private so it's a bit more uh and I will guarantee you a job on campus. And I said, well, okay, sold. So I, you know, told Mrs. Raj that I plan on moving, which I took my two door car, which had more rust on it than paint. Uh, and I drove it down to the university of Tampa. As I'll never forget, as a matter of fact, I put it in park right outside my dorm and I blew my CV axles, which are these little bars, right. That hold your wheels on. And I was just like, well, I don't know if that's the most welcoming sign of a city, but, uh, I just, I just made it here. So, uh, I did, and I, I stayed there for, for two years. I didn't anticipate living in Tampa that long. I figured I'd graduate, finish up my my degree, and and maybe move back to, to Pennsylvania. I don't know. I didn't view myself, or even maybe as, I'll go so far to say as worthy uh, of living in, in such a beautiful place, but fast forward, I've been here now 13 years, I think, uh, and I really, to be honest, I don't really have intentions of leaving. Uh, I quite love this place. Uh and and unlike Philly, not to pick on Philly, but I think it loves me back. <laughs> uh and so yeah, that that's kind of the uh the break point of I guess that next stage of my life, which was post-college and and uh and that next adventure that I've been you know dealing with now for I don't know, about a little over 10 years uh since since uh post-call, well at least post- undergrad.
1: Right. Well, I was- that is fascinating. Thank you for going there and sharing what you haven't shared so much of. So I really appreciate that courage, Jeremy. And um so talk a bit about you know as you're kind of not realizing how unusual this is, did you feel like you sort of plus or minus fit in with most kids? You know, kids can be mean, you know, so I'm just curious on those, um, peer relationships?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I have actually been quite blessed, uh, with being able to communicate with most, uh, I guess, assuming I I want to, (laughs) not everyone, you know, you you want to chat with, but generally, right. I, I like to communicate with people. I like to be, you know, authentic with people. They, they tend to reciprocate back. Right. Um, I think that's, that's something I've learned. Maybe, maybe it came natural at first, but now I really leverage that is if you know people mimic and, and mirror, and if you can show that authenticity and, and caring and ask questions and people talk to you, uh, you can get a lot out of it. So I've generally, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I think I felt like I belonged. I, I remember looking at, uh, I only have a few photos of me as a kid, but every one of them, I look now and I go, boy, you were, uh, you were weird looking dude. I mean, you were wearing, uh, you know, girl jeans. Uh, you know, at one point I dyed my hair black with blue tips, and yet I'm hanging out with you know, you know, one of my buddies was you know, a guy that played football, and at the at the time, right? You think about the high school dynamics. That's that's an odd thing, uh, but no, I, I I that's just the way I was. I tried to you know, befriend as as many people, and I think that that has carried over uh, a lot into my adult life as well, trying to build connections. And to be honest maybe even compensate the family side that I might miss uh, with who I deem as family, which tends to be, you know, friends that you, you build along the ways.
1: Yeah. How has your parents uh, relationship with you? How is that? Are you in connection? Did you talk about, you know, those are can be really tough times for kids.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So my father that I, that I grew up with was technically my stepfather, my biological father, uh, didn't know well uh and to be honest was starting to build a relationship with him in when I was in college I didn't know him that that well but he lived in Texas my brother moved there for law school so they became connected uh which was really exciting for him actually uh and I just started to connect with him and then as life is unfortunately he he passes away he gets cancer and he you know he passes so that that relationship was you know cut short I thought which was a bit sad but um, you know, my stepfather that I grew up with, no, I don't, I don't, you know, talk to him, you know, at, at all, to be honest, that's more of a, of a choice, but my mother, no, uh, unfortunately had to make those decisions sometimes just to, to cut ties and, and relationships. So I've, I chose that, uh, about 14, 15 years ago is now that it's been.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have other sense of family, Jason and you still super close?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, my brother's my rock and I, and I, I think I am his too. Uh, we talk, he, he lives in right outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and I live in Tampa. So we're quite far uh, in distance, but that never stops us from talking a lot. We talk multiple times a week. Uh, he's, he's lucky he's in Germany right now on work. And I said, man, I would love to go gone with you. The best brothers in, in Germany would probably be a fun, fun weekend. But uh, yeah, we talk often. We're very, very close um i was close with my grandparents enough um obviously with the my childhood upbringing i made really bad decisions on pulling myself from a lot of people in that i was related to even though it wasn't their fault i just chose to do that and definitely regretful of that uh but then they passed away my grandmother passed away this year my grandfather passed away a couple of years ago and then that left my aunt which is my mom's sister and and i i, I we we talk I don't say often, but 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 uh, you know as as much as we can. Uh, specifically, uh, she, my family, my mother's side is Jewish, so we always make sure that we talk around the high holidays and things, and 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 make sure we're at least you know up to speed on that. So, uh, and that's really it. I mean, my family was small to begin with, and then it, it got smaller over the years. Some by choice, some not, and now it's. Uh, it it leaves very few of us, but my luckily, unfortunately my brother, uh, and I are, are very, very close. So, yeah.
1: That's great. You have a real lightness and brightness to you. So you're driving four hours, you know, each trip to go back to find some work. Did you ever feel sorry for yourself?
2: Um, no. Uh, I mean, it would be foolish to say there weren't times that I was angry. Um, For sure, I think uh, I think it's natural, especially as a kid. And I always have to remind myself that that I was a kid, uh, put in 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 a in in tough a a tough position. Uh, So I don't, you know, I never really felt sorry for myself necessarily, but definitely mad. Like, why was I in this situation? And and not to stereotype college, but if you can afford college, you tend to be in a better position in life, anyways. And so I was always surrounded by by people that maybe didn't have the same experiences. Uh, it's not until I got older that I realized, wow, we share. There's a lot of people out there that share a lot of the, the same experiences. Uh, not to name drop, but there's a, I'm gonna. <laughs> there's a, uh, there's an artist, a musician named Michael Franti. And uh, he has a documentary called I Know I'm Not Alone, right? And it's a great m- documentary. I, I won't go into the details of it. But I always took it as what does that mean for me? And I realized, I know, I'm not alone. I that there there's many people that experience homelessness. Uh, I was just looking at it up just last night saying, well, how many people have experienced that? And it's a very high percent double digits that people have experienced that once in their life. So I mean, you know, if one you know one out of 10 people or more that you bump into have experienced that, it's hard for me to say, it's so unique, but at the time, boy, was I upset by it. Uh, people are going out and doing all these things. Don't be wrong; I had fun in college. Right, I you know did, did my thing, but I didn't have the finances to go out. I didn't have the finances to make a mistake, which put a lot of pressure on me. It still does. Um, not having a a cushion or a safety net, as some would call it, uh, is motivating, but. Agitating as well because it's always lingering there. I mean you know, I felt like I as a as a kid wasn't able to think like a kid, even though I wanted to. But if I made a bad mistake, what happens? Right. So um I've almost some people, you know, look at at the way I do things now. I I travel, I I, you know, every weekend there's something going on. Concerts, social events, sporting events. Everyone's like, Why do you go to all these things? And I said, Well one fear of missing out hurts it's a painful disease uh and two i think i'm just catching up right i feel i feel like that's what's happening uh you know comparing to what folks may have done for 20 years i didn't do any of that so i feel like that's what's going on now
1: yeah that's a lot of awareness um i guess before we move on this um i don't know this feeling of anger and you know our emotions are not us we have to learn to manage them so i am curious as a young person how did you learn to manage anger and not let it get the better of you you know and i'm sure it did at times but that is a skill and sometimes people don't get that
2: yeah um boy lacking on that one if i if i was to guess uh i think i was just busy um and, and don't get me wrong i i remember a time in philly where I felt what I would call depression, although, you know, I didn't, didn't get it diagnosed and talk to anyone about it. Right. I just was sleeping all the time. I couldn't get up. I uh, go to class, take naps all the time and they okay, college students, take naps. But I mean, I was sleeping a lot. Um, so I think I, you know, I did a little bit of that, which probably isn't healthy when I moved to Tampa. I, I think just, like I said, I stayed busy. I was working on campus. That was exciting. The classes were more interesting because now I'm in my, you know, uh, junior and senior year and you're taking all the econ classes, which I chose. And so I was super interested in these things, great into business. And then I also had a second job where I was a runner and runners are interesting. I tell people I was a runner once and no one really knows what that means. A runner is was worse than an intern in terms of the the the, the, the the corporate ladder, you're below an intern. You are a person who drives around to do errands, right? You pick up someone's dry cleaning, you pick up their lunch, uh, you take their car to the to the car wash. Uh, maybe you make a mistake and you hit the curb and you damage their rims, uh, which I did, oops. Uh, but I was a runner too, right? So in between class, I would, you know, I'd drive and do these errands and I'd come back, I'd go to class. And at night I would work on campus just doing basic admin stuff. And so I was always busy. And I think that helped uh, mask some of the, like, no time, no time to be mad, right? We're just, we're, we're going through the motions here.
1: Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. You know, I, you didn't know this, and I appreciate learning about you. I'm on the board of Community Solutions, which is an organization dedicated to really, um, you know, eliminating chronic and veteran homelessness. And it's a topic that, to your point, way more people than you might think have experienced Homelessness and people in the high tech job that you look at your fellow office person has been under a bridge, you know, sleeping. And so I think um, my words to all those listening is that is not an intractable problem. It absolutely is something that we can solve. And I think there's a a lot of collective will we can pull together and do just that. So more on that. Okay. So take us through college. I am kind of curious because it's, you know, it seems like the economist very quant jock, very critical thinking. Did you always know you had that? Did you just kind of come upon it in college? Take us.
2: A... Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, well, one, I've always been fascinated in the concept of business. Um, I didn't think I'd be an economist. I thought I'd go into law school like my brother and do all that. Uh, and Then you realize, well, wait, it's really expensive to afford undergrad. How the heck are you going to afford going to, you know, become a lawyer? So I, I, I can that. But I've always been passionate about business. Um, I remember as a kid uh my brother and i would drive to philly and go to these used car auctions and uh you know you buy them for cash and then you'd flip them right some they would need some work which we had a mechanic that would you know help us out uh and we flip them and we did that and at the time the law was you can buy and sell three cars a year well okay hang on i got me i got my brother and his girlfriend alicia right so technically we can sell nine cars a year between the three of us so uh, we never sold that many, but that was our mindset. And so, yeah, we made a couple bucks here and there, which was fun, but that entrepreneurial spirit was interesting. Uh, and then fast forward, when I went to university of Tampa, they asked what do you, what's your degree? What do you want to transfer in as? And I, I was a business admin, I believe at, at temple in Philly. And then they said, okay, we have that. Um, you have to take an extra language. I said, okay, great. And they told me how many classes it would be, but the downside is That would have meant I had to do an extra semester of based off credits and they cap you at how many you can take a semester. And so I said, well, I can't do that because I cannot afford another semester of school. Sorry. Uh, And they said, well, okay, we have these other programs that would be slightly less. So I said, great economics. And I remember they said they said that's a very hard degree. Right. And you didn't take the econ classes at UT. You took them elsewhere. So there might be a gap in expectations and things. I said, that's fine. Let's let's do that. Uh little did they know, I was uh I was into economics even in high school. I was actually part of an economics debate club. It was not really a debate, it was like you get a test as a group and then you would, you know, answer the test. And they were supply and demand questions, very nerdy things. Um, so yes, I mean, I I've always been involved in the analytics side of things, so I major in economics, and I I, I crush it, right? I school school was it wasn't easy, but but I nailed it, got it done, uh, you know, as, as best as I possibly could. And when you graduate in economics, there's what you're told an economist does, and then there's what you think you're going to get involved in. A lot of people think an economist is someone that works for the government, does all these things. I didn't really want to do that. Uh, the what the one thing I'm told is well finance. And so I said, yeah, okay, I'm going to look into finance. But unfortunately, if you want to make real big money quickly as a, as a young, what am I, 21 at the time, uh, you have to move to New York or a big city hub and you're going to work like crazy 80 hours a week. And and I that wasn't really my scene, but I was able to get a job at a local wealth management company and it was great. I mean, I was there for a few years. I started off as an intern. I worked my way up to like an analyst type of level. Um, they got me series uh, 65 license. It was all these things great opportunities, but mainly it taught me to think more analytically to problem solve, right? Looking at, at equities and understanding which ones to invest, which ones to sell, building portfolios. Started talking to clients a little bit, not alone, but w- with the financial advisor to back up the story on what to invest. And that really catapulted me into consulting, which I then left that that gig and got a job at what's called Revenue Management Solutions RMS for short always acronyms right uh, and so I start there and I was there for eight years I started off as as an analyst and uh, I this was another great like I guess foundation or next step in my life I was able to work under a guy named Chris Norton uh, and who I'm very good friends with to this day and and that's the relationship it went from use my boss to just a great friend uh and i got to work under uh, you know under him and he told me right off the right off the bat he just said man you you talk so well with clients you have the confidence you know the data he always relied on me to do that he was a really good face of the business so i helped him with the analytics side of things but he would then take me on the road to to support it which was awesome i loved it but he told me he goes jeremy my job is to give you a vision and run like heck to keep up and i'll never forget that except he didn't say heck (laughs) um And, and I remember that because, you know, it's it's such a man, it's just a great management uh, style to just say, like, I'm going to give you the authority to do this and we're going to do this until I can't do it anymore. And you're going to either beat me or move on. Uh, and and that's what we did. I, I worked there for, for eight years uh, working in analytics for restaurants. And so as I'm 24 years old on the phone with very you know large franchisees of big fortune 500 companies uh and even in the room sometimes of of the big fortune 5 uh, fortune 500 um you know talking about their marketing plans talking about their pricing strategies trying to unearth insights that they can act on uh which was incredibly fun uh i do remember it it's it still is a challenge to break the the age barrier. There's a lot of that in in business, right? How dare a 24 year old tell a someone who's got 30, 40 years of experience that they're not doing it as good as they can? Uh, and and that's the nice way of saying it. Uh, um, and so you you know you push through that. Uh, and how you do that is through your work, right? You just show how well you are and how articulate you are, and you know to your point the quant side of things, and that you can back up what you're saying. Uh, and so that, uh, that was a, a really, I mean, it was stressful time. No, don't get me wrong, but I loved, I loved what we did there. Uh, and, and working under Chris was, was phenomenal. I I would go so far to say he's definitely like a father figure. Although if he listens to this, he's going to shrug and be like, oh, please. But, uh, I will throw that at him and say, absolutely. He was very close to a father figure for sure. That's
1: amazing. The corporate life from the student life can be a very big transition for some and i'm sure there's some early in career folks listening so i'm wondering and you seem that you you know you have a confidence to connect with people so that's a gift that you have but do you recall certain moments of like oh i should do this or i shouldn't do that or wow that didn't really go i'm just wondering when you look back any aha moments
2: yeah i think a big one and 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 chris helped me with this one is uh when you're trying to compete on the the age argument uh you can be it's not that you're wrong by the way it's that you want to be loud uh you want to talk in every meeting you even though nothing needs to be said uh and so i think that took me a a while uh there's there's definitely an art to saying things that by the way are going to be uh disagreed by others right uh, and so I, I think for for those starting out that are excited about what they're doing by the way that's that's the way i looked at it and that's the way it should be looked at you're excited and you're passionate about being here and so if you have something to say you should say it and your manager should be accepting of it doesn't mean they're going to be but i hope they are uh so i guess shout out to the managers too be accepting of that but as the as you know starting fresh don't be afraid to to speak up but you know do it with respect uh <laughs> You know, take your time and think. Well, do I have to say anything right now? Uh, you know, is this the is this the right time? You don't you don't always have to. I think I I I struggled with that the the early early. I can actually remember you know a few times being kind of told on the side, "Hey, don't do that again." Uh, you're like, okay, got it. Yeah, don't do that. Got it.
1: So kudos to the bosses who are willing to give the constructive input back to folks because it can be very tempting to be like, oh my God, so-and-so doesn't get it, right? And that person will never get it, folks, if someone doesn't care enough to actually let them know. So if that actually, if you're on the receiving side, I would ask you to take that with grace and a big thank you because they're really doing you a huge favor. Um, I'm curious in your own career, um, in a moment I wanna kind of talk about what makes for a great economist, but how are you thinking about your career you know where you want to be, nearer term or longer term.
2: Yeah. Um. I so uh, coming up on two years. Uh, I you know, moved over to ITR Economics, so I left RMS and I moved on to another acronym a <laughs> company. <laughs> uh, and 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 ITR Economics has has been great in terms of uh, you know giving me the opportunities to to leverage what I really like doing now, which is you know speaking. Uh, and so a very large portion of my job is keynote presentations where we explain what's going on in the economy. And then the other side of, of of what I do, and this is actually where I met you, right? Which is I deal with individual clients and I explain, you know expectations and forecasts for, you know maybe their sales data or what have you. Uh, and I get to you know speak with their leadership team on on how not only where they' they're expected to go to go, but how to act on that. Uh, and so I want to keep that train going, because I, I do not to say I don't like the analytics, I still do. Uh, you have to have both, especially in economics, because things are constantly changing, constantly changing. Um, but I don't want to go back to more that analyst role where you're, you know, behind the desk all the time. I, I enjoy, you know, speaking to people, I enjoy, you know, I call it uh, storytelling with data. Uh, and there's a great book on it, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of what I do is I build this story, and it's it's it sounds simple, right? You just take a couple charts and slides, but one thing I think ITR and and myself are good at, which is why I think we married up pretty well right now, is well, it's economics, and it can put people to sleep, but we get compliments all the time on you know how engaging we make it and yeah, we, we throw in as, as many clever jokes as we, as we can. Uh, and then, and I, and I, I say clever jokes as we can, cause I'm sure half mine flop, but I try my best. Uh, and, and again, not, uh, not my last name B S S, but, but best B S T that's clearly a joke that flop. Um, no, no, it, it is something that, that we strive for at, at ITR. And, and I enjoy doing that. So they've given me that, that opportunity to go out there and, and speak with people and engage with people and and get them interested in economics which i think is incredibly hard to do uh a lot of people you know economics is so hard to understand and and i disagree i think once you drill it down we are making decisions that we talk about in economics every day i mean you make a decision to buy a cup of coffee at one place over another because of an idea of economics uh so you know, we just have to explain it to someone, like uh, at least to what they are interested in, uh, and so that's what we try to do.
1: That's a real gift to create relevance for people and to bring them in. So you, you know, you work with these clients, and I'm really uh, curious about what you see that are people's big questions, perhaps things that you might think are so obvious that other people seem to struggle comprehending? I'm just wondering, you know, what you see and what's going on for some of the clients you deal with.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, again, my 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 job is to take expectations and explain them. Uh, and now what, what I try to do is an ex- explain it with an abundance of evidence. You know, forecasting isn't easy and are you going to be right every single time? No. Right. Uh, that's that's, you know, what's what we we want to strive for is be right every time. But, yes, things happen. I had no idea COVID was going to happen. Right. Were we expecting a down soft you know, downturn, softening during that time? Sure. But boy, at that level, no. Right. But I'm trying to build an abundance of evidence. And I find it interesting when you build that evidence um, and you talk about what you should be doing during that time to hear people counter it. With things that I think could get them into trouble. A great example of it is not necessarily what we're dealing with now in this more slowing economy, uh, but more what we were dealing with, let's say in 2022, where things are really ramping up and we're just we're we're just full cylinders. The growth in the economy is huge. Companies are just bringing in you know money and it's great. Although there's challenges, you know, in 2022, I get it. But at the time, you you grew your business or most folks grew their business at a really high rate you assume that that's going to last forever. Uh, and if you explain to folks, here's the abundance of evidence to support why this is slowing, they counter it with all these, you know, big growth ideas. And you you say, well, I, I don't see how that's going to happen uh, because of X, Y, Z. And you get a little pushback. And I think, you know, that can be a challenge. Uh, so, you know, understanding where you're going and believing in that is step one. Step two is, Making sure you're making the proper business decisions with that expectation, right? Uh, and I, I think that's that's a challenge that I'll continue to have, and that's kind of the fun of it, right? Is and and that's why you build a relationship with clients. You you know when you even when you're doing keynote presentations, I'm only up there for an hour, but I'm going to try to really bring out that um, you know the the human in my presentation, so that people start to trust the the conversation, and they go, okay, now I'm left with what to do.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So for the folks who might be contemplating either a new career or a switch of careers, if you step back, what do you think makes for a uh, success in your field um, as an economist, but also as the storyteller?
2: I was just speaking with a with a person yesterday. I got off stage and she she said, "Would you mind if my son uh, messaged you on LinkedIn?" And I said, "Absolutely, that's you know, fine." And she said, "Well, my son is trying to go to school. He's thinking about economics." And I told her, "I said, that's awesome. I think economics is a um, is a great field to get into." Uh, clearly, I'm I'm biased on it. There was a recent publication that shows, um, you know, over time, classic economists explaining charts here, but over time. Uh, what your income is after graduation. And what's really fascinating is it it takes a few years to, to make more money in economics because it requires a high level of expertise and and skill in that, but then it ramps up. And so I was showing her that, and it was just funny, I happened to have it on my phone. I said, Look at this, you should send this to your son. Uh, and so just to incentivize him. But then I said, But by the way, what I think would make him successful when he exits college is really start to learn the technical side of economics, right? The coding, the analytics, uh, it it benefited me. I mean, I don't know all of those languages, but I started to, you know, heavy SQL writing, which is a database management tool, being able to actually deal with the data quickly and not have someone else do it. Uh, I started playing with R, which was like a statistical tool, all programmable. You have to, I mean, I didn't, there were no classes, right? I I just kind of learned by talking to people, Googling, YouTubes, et cetera. I told her, I said, you should make force that if he's really interested in in, in economics. Clearly, technology is not going anywhere. Uh, so leverage that. The speaking side, I've always struggled uh, with that because I don't know if it's I think you can teach someone how to speak. Uh, in front of a group, I, I do. I think you can speak, you can train them on when to pause, when to do things, especially if it's a presentation you've done a million times. But the confidence, the, the the you know, feeling comfortable, I think is another one, is huge. Uh, I enjoy, I get nervous before I go on a keynote. But I explain to people that it's not nervous it's, it's crippling it's actually excitement but that's just how I define it as nervous and the day that that goes away is the day I need to move on to another job because I live I I get you know I, I I'm just so excited by that uh taking a phrase from a friend a friend of mine it's it's I fills my cup right and 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 that's what I like I don't know how you teach that I get ex- experience helps right being comfortable that you know it that you know you won't get you know, caught with your pants down to sit, you know, to, to you know, to, to point it out that way. But beyond that, I don't, I don't know. And so I would say if you, if you think you're confident in, in public speaking, know that there's a lot of value in it. And I did not know how much value was in it until the last few years. There's a lot of value in, in speaking in front of people because there's a lot of people that do not want to do it. Uh, and if you can marry that with a technical skill, like, understanding, you know, economics or or finance or analytics, boy, yeah, you're, you're going to slingshot that, that story of it takes a few years to make more money in economics. You'll blow right through that. Uh, And I think if you can marry those things up. That's awesome.
1: First of all, awesome awareness on your part about what it takes. And sometimes if you are good at it or it comes easy to you, someone needs to kind of point it out to you, that it's an asset. So great on that and then super advice for folks. So I hope listeners enjoy that. Um, the I'll just chime a little bit on this. I think the idea of getting up on a stage, you know, that notion of confidence, if you are really grounded in yourself, in your story and where you've come from, there's that inner strength and no one really gives that to you. You give yourself permission to own your story, which clearly you do. So hats off to you, Jeremy. I mean, that's a very big deal. I think the other piece of it is a sense of, the intention and the value and the service to others and i can tell you feel very strongly that what you're sharing can really be helpful to people and you really want them to use it in a positive way and that those two pieces are super super powerful right so whether you are exactly perfectly you know, on your articulation and your execution of a presentation, you know, that's one thing, but when you come from it with such a way to serve people, I think that that really uh, takes the cake. And this is probably a good time to get to our say it skillfully part of the show. So Jeremy, I'm thinking there must be a challenging situation or conversation on your mind, whether it's now or something in the past.
2: Yeah. I, um, so I, I do a little mentoring, which um you know, as, as always, you know, someone like Chris Norton, for example, was the guy that nudged me into that. He was also the guy that nudged me into getting my master's. So yes, good, good guy. And he said, you know, Hey, let's want you to get into mentoring. And I said, okay, I'll give that a go. Um, I find it a little uncomfortable at times because I mean, I'm, you know, not too much older than, than, you know, the people I would be in theory mentoring. Uh, but what's, ch- I think a challenging time right now and this is economics right i think there's a slowdown in the economy companies are starting to be impacted there's a lot of layoff conversations uh and so you know it was brought to my attention from you know my mentee saying hey what should i do <laughs> and i i quite frankly just told him i don't know i said well let's let's talk about the problem let's talk about what's going on obviously it's not that he's laid off yet, but he's seeing, you know, he's kind of thinking it might be him or or you know, is this the right place to stay? Or, you know, things like that. And um, you know, I think where he's at is is a great opportunity for him. So I've been talking that out. And the way I've been trying to relate it is my brother and I do this, you know, with with our everyday, you know, life challenges. We just vent and talk it out. And sometimes sometimes you just agree right off the bat Probably this is probably good for relationships in general. You just agree off the bat. Is this going to be a point where you want me to make recommendations or is this a point where you just want to get this off your chest? And sometimes knowing that I think it think helps. I probably should have done that with him on his recent co- talk or conversation with me, uh, but it's been challenging. I don't, I don't know how to let him know. I don't have all of the business experience that I think he might be looking for from a mentor.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you bringing this up. And obviously there's no pat answer. I think the idea of helping people get it out into the open so that they can process it is a huge role for mentoring. And so I would say for you, and I appreciate you kind of feeling like, God, I really want to do more, help more, but realizing that listening and helping that person just get it off their chest is a real service. And so realize that there's value there, right? And I love how you um, were clear just now about the intention. Hey, I'm here to help you any way I can. You tell me, you want me to think about answers. You want me to listen to you. So help them because lots of times people don't actually know. And so you're just giving them space to be like, yeah, you're right. I don't even know what I don't know or what I want. Right. And so you give them a chance to just be real. I think, you know, Having folks say, hey, what's really going on? Like, what's making you nervous? Like, why are we even having this? Well, what? Just what? And if you just kind of help unpack the whys in a non judging way, more likely than not, they solve it. I would say for most folks, when they come to me with decision types of things, I'm like, I'm all about managing the downside. So if I'm upfront about how bad it could be and I can mitigate that so that it's not that bad, I don't have a downside. So Folks have often said, oh, you do such risky things. I'm like, maybe it looks like that to you, but in my little way of thinking it, I feel like I've de-risked it. So <laughs> yeah. hopefully that's helpful.
2: No, it is. It is. Yeah.
1: Um, You know, you've gone through a lot. I am um curious about two things. One is in your professional career, any moments of real mental stress or self-doubt, can I really do this? Or did you kind of always feel like somehow I'll find a way?
2: Um yeah I mean I would say the, the teenager into college self was definitely just uh try to get it done there was a definitely a period of doubt where I was very very close to leaving Philly moving back to northeast Pennsylvania which I don't even know what would have come of me at that point um there was a, a chance I wouldn't have even been going to school you would have I would have done that excuse thing where you say I'm saving up for it and then you know you do you don't i don't know um and so that was a scary scary moment um a lot of doubt on where i would end up going but i pushed through that and, and again i guess some stars align there's some luck in it in general i mean why would why did i happen to go visit tampa you know how did i get to meet someone i don't know right all these things kind of worked out but uh after that i would say you know i just pushed i worked hard my a buddy of mine i work with now actually uh, Pat loose, uh, we always make jokes. Everyone always says, you know, work smarter, not harder. And we always make jokes. And no, we just worked really, really hard. <laughs> I mean, we just, you know, we, we came from that We came from that background. Uh, and so we still kind of do that. And, I, and I, I say it somewhat jokingly, but that's what I did. Um, I felt confident if I just kept going that it'll slowly figure itself out, which we kind of did.
1: Yeah. I think that's really, really sage advice. Um, what is pressure to you now as an adult if if you feel any right
2: what's fresher Help me out here what do we what do we mean
1: when do you feel like it's a real pressured situation
2: oh pressure got it um you know i i think it's funny as i get older and you start doing things, you know, things get harder. And what I mean by that is, all right, you start getting more money, you start making investments, right? And those are stressful. You start making more money, you buy rentals. And my brother and I did that a few years ago. Uh, and it starts to come when things, are, when things are great, right? All right, great. I don't even need to look at it. But when things are bad, like right now, I mean, things are slowing down, right? You start to feel it on multiple sides, uh, and I, I I think that just naturally happens when you think about finances. And it might even happen more for me because maybe I'm more sensitive to the idea of finances than maybe I should be. Uh, and that can hinder some of my ways of thinking, or at least I've been told. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I feel most pressured when it comes down to not hitting certain financial goals.
1: Yeah. How is your relationship with money changed, you know, at a point there wasn't a lot of it, you know, I'm just yeah. curious how you think about money.
2: Boy, it went from uh, not having a lot of it, which means you can't spend it to having a little bit of it, but not spending it. Uh, and then finally, you know, you, you realize, well, hang on, you only live once here, bud. you can't really take it with you. Uh, I don't have, you know, kids or anything like that. So what are you doing? Right, right? And, and that made me fall in love with things like travel uh I travel I usually try to do one big trip a year this year was uh Vietnam and Cambodia with my buddy Pat uh and we did that uh and so you know we work together and still travel together which is which is great we've been to India together so I have transitioned to still I'm I'm very frugal uh you know I have very strict savings goals for sure but I absolutely you know want to enjoy certain things will I find ways to do it at a cheaper rate Yeah. Well, does it mean I'm sitting on a plane for 36 hours as opposed to 20? Yeah, probably. But I'm willing to do that because it saved me a couple hundred dollars. I don't know why I do that, but at least I'm doing it. At least I'm still enjoying uh, what life has to offer. And and that's kind of the mentality that I'm at now.
1: Uh, I love it. I love it. Okay. So let's take it for a wrap. Of all the many things that you've accomplished already, Jeremy, is there a particular most proud accomplishment to date?
2: Yes. Um, again, talking about financial goals, I remember I said I I will find a way to get a rental house before I buy my own house. Uh-huh. And the idea there was I've seen so many people that you know buy houses and they get bogged down by it, and then you know that all their money goes into that, good or bad. You know, lovely. Uh, but I think for me, I I, I wanted investments, so I you know went in with my brother and, and, and his wife on one house. And then we went in on a second one and then I got my, my condo. Uh, and obviously this weren't right back to back, you know, that type of thing, but it took time. But I think being able to be very, you know, strict on that was, was tough. Could I have bought a house earlier? Yes. You know, And some of the, some of the rentals that we have, I think are nicer than where I lived uh, and that's fine. Right. I think that um, was just being, you know, uh, you know, just stuck to the goal helped out. And so looking back on, it, I think that was a really good move.
1: Nice. And um, you've shared a lot. So I'm curious as listening to yourself, is there a top takeaway for you about just kind of hearing yourself go through your journey?
2: Well, listen, I I'll actually, I thought about it when I was putting together my thoughts last night, it just in timeline. I'll start off by just saying thank you for the, for the opportunity. I think it was uh, a really good experience or, or maybe uh, exercise is the better word I'll use to just think about your life a bit. Not, you know, self-aware is, is one thing, but kind of thinking back to the troubling times, putting in order, why did these things happen, I thought was uh, incredibly useful. Uh, it's put a smile on my face. As I mentioned, I, I do presentations a lot. I actually was way more nervous doing this, which is talking about my life than I was talking about economics. But again, I think it was because it's fun and I'm excited by it. And so I've enjoyed it. And I think the one thing that I actually wrote down when you were when you were talking was, you know, feeling maybe why I'm confident on stage because I've gone through what I've gone through. And that's, you know, valuable. And I, I, I think there's something to that that I might want to un- unpack a little bit later.
1: I think you nailed it. And it's clear it comes through. I am so proud of you. For all you've done, I'm grateful to you for being willing to share and model for listeners. I often say, you know, if, if I asked you out there in the universe to share your story, what would you share? You know, and so I think Jeremy, you you showed us what um, what that can be like. And I just want to appreciate you for being part of the solution in life. You know, you're really uh, being open with your own journey and all that you've learned, the ups and your downs. Uh, you're helping all to be safe, seen, and heard, and our true and very best selves, my friend. And it's not that you need it, but if I can be tiny bit helpful to you in any way at all, you know how to reach me. So I will wish you well and you take good care. Thank you, Molly. Okay, folks, that was amazing. Uh, My thought for the week comes from (laughs) Jeremy. Just work really, really hard. Keep going. And my appreciation. To the behind-the-scenes rock stars who make this show possible, the amazing crew at Voice America, the diligent Eric Patton, the driving force for all the say it skillfully, website and social media. And that is a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Jeremy's voice. Reflect on your own top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life.
3: Homelessness is solvable. Communities are proving it. And it begins by understanding that we can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The U.S. spends billions each year responding, but it's clear more resources alone aren't enough to solve this complex problem. Community Solutions is a nonprofit working alongside 105 U.S. communities, proving it is possible to make homelessness rare and brief starting with veteran and chronic homelessness. These cities and counties are fundamentally changing their approach and have committed to get to zero homelessness using real-time, person-specific data to work and use their resources wisely. What can you do? Visit wwwbuilt 40org See if your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real-time? Do you know every homeless person by name and need? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness can't be solved.
0: Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter.